So it's about 20 years since this story has happened and I'm still sticking to my guns with it as far as how it happened. Here's the bottom line. I didn't know. Okay. This story happened 20 years ago and it all started in third grade. I had a very stressful third grade experience as I'm sure most of you had a stressful third grade experience. I had headaches growing up. And in the midst of these headaches, I learned about this miracle pill, this pill called ibuprofen. It was a magical pill. You took this pill and all your problems were gone. Now, when I received this pill, I did learn one thing from my parents. They said, if your headaches continue, we will have to take you to the hospital. That was the day I decided I would never tell my parents anything about my life again, because I'm not going to the hospital. That's not my plan. That's not my game plan. So what I decided to do was without telling anyone, I slowly started sneaking the medicine with me to school. And no one noticed except my friends. My friends who in third grade also had aches and pains and heard about this pill. My friends who at the same time, I've been hearing about this man called Jesus of Nazareth. One who actually helped people in their sickness and healing. And I thought, I think I have a moral obligation to my friends who are sick and hurting. So after a while we processed and I thought, I should also let them know about this ibuprofen. But I ran into a problem as I started taking requests from my friends. I know some of you are already paranoid what the story is going. I ran into a problem. You could kind of say that like the demand didn't necessarily match the supplies. I had so many requests coming in that I told my friend I had this issue and my friend said, well, you know, here's something you could consider. Why don't we just pay you? And whoever pays you the most money gets the most ibuprofen. And that seemed really reasonable to me. So on the day of what some people would call my shipment, <laughs> I, I take the money and I put it in the bag and I take the medicine and I put it in the bag and I accidentally fall over and trip and long story short, in front of my parents right before I'm about to go to school, by the grace of God, <laughs> I actually dump all of the money and medicine in front of my parents. It was like a casino had just blown up in front of them. And I remember looking at them, thinking there's, I can reasonably explain this. And little did Zane know, third grade Zane, today was about to be judgment day. There was no convincing my parents. They came absolutely unglued. How could you think of something like this? This could affect other people. You thought it was a good idea to sell it for money? And then that's when the real phrase came out. They go, we can't believe you would come like this. And I was like, become what, dad? And he was like, a drug dealer. I don't want to be a drug dealer. He said, too late. You already thought about it. You're already going to do it. <laughs> I haven't forgotten that story, obviously, since third grade. Matter of fact, I understand how problematic it was and how dangerous it was. I will say, I think that they just have a chip on their shoulder that I wasn't giving them a cut of the profit, but I'll let history be history. Here's the thing about that, though. 
I remember my world just absolutely opened up in that moment. I remember seeing things differently. I remember realizing I didn't know what I didn't know until that moment came out. You could say I was ignorant. Matter of fact, you could say it was an innocent type of ignorance. But let's be clear, any type of ignorance, intentional or unintentional, has implications. It can actually affect you, it can affect those around you, and it chooses a path that we don't even know we chose in the first place. I want you to hold on to that story. I have a friend who was telling me about a game that she plays with her daughter every day as she drives home to school, and basically the game is this. Every day there's a letter of the alphabet, and her daughter asks the definition of a word that matches that corresponding letter of the alphabet. And as she was telling me this story, she said there was a word that tripped her up, a word that only in 2021 would truly trip her up. And it wasn't a word that started with a letter that you would imagine, like a letter like Q or Y. She said the letter started with an I. The word? Ignorance. It's not that my friend struggled to define the word ignorance. She struggled to be able to explain it. She struggled to be able to take a set of innocent ears and try to explain the word ignorance without having a negative connotation that went with it. She wanted to reach for words like close-minded or frustrated in describing it. It was almost as if she couldn't define the word ignorance without letting it be tainted by this day and the climate that we live in. That it was hard to be able to define it and see it. It makes me wonder if our negative emotion towards the word ignorance is because of our negative reaction that we have towards it. It's rare to find someone who wants to hear what they don't want to hear. And we treat ignorance as a land that today you do not want to be caught in instead of a soil in which to be transformed. I want you to hold on to that. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to grab uh, Luke 15. And I know for a lot of us in these days that we, uh, we kind of mourn a little bit of how unaware people are of the stories of the Bible. I want to turn your attention to a story that many people are aware of. And I actually think they're aware of it because of a really good reason. But also, it's a story of unawareness. As many of you would guess in Luke 15, Jesus tells one of the most common stories people are aware of, the prodigal son. It's where we still get language that we use today like killing the fatted calf or the prodigal that returns home. Jesus tells it like this as many of you have heard it before. Starting in verse 11 of Luke 15, Jesus continued, Now, there's a man that had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So not long after that, 
The younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs. He longed to be filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, you know what? How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and where I am starving to death? You know what? I will set out and I will go back to my father and say to him, you know, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but just make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. And this is where the story turns. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be called worthy of your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now he's alive he was lost but now he was found and now it's the time to celebrate jesus tells a story of a younger son who is unaware of the divine parent that is right before him the entire time for a son to be able to ask a request like this would be absolutely outlandish. I don't know how you grew up. When I grew up, if I asked my parents something very ridiculous, they had this joking phrase, not one I would recommend, but they would lean in and they would say, Zane, we brought you into this world and we can remove you from this world. Okay, not, not a type of parenting I think we should endorse. I think children's ministry would ixnay that. But the communication was very clear. I never misunderstood. That tone is the tone in this culture that that response would be. A parent would never consider an outlandish statement like that. A matter of fact, a statement like that would be one that a parent in this culture would actually discipline or shame, or realign back to. But Jesus wants you to know, this parent, this father, is surprising. And in the midst of this, the son in verse 17, you get that beautiful phrase. The younger son, after he goes out, he spends his inheritance, which by the way, footnote, in that story, it's not that the son has this massive revelation. He runs out of money and he has no more options. That's why he comes home. And in verse 17, it has this beautiful phrase, the younger son came to his senses. What did he come to his senses to? He came to his senses of the father who had been by him all along this entire time. 
But of course, Jesus, the master storyteller, is going to flip it on it again, as many of you know. You find out that the older son actually goes in and he's like, what? There's a party going on for who? It should be for me, right? And then in verse 29, he says it like this. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. So Jesus' master storyteller puts it on the table again of turning it. There's not just one aware son, there are two unaware sons. For the son, the older one to be like, to say the word slave, for the younger son to leave, the father and the older son would be partners. That he would live in this household together. That there would be a great joy. Which for any of us who have sat in these seats for more than a couple weeks, this story should perk our ears up. Because proximity does not equal intimacy. That you can be near the Father but still very far away as far as your heart. That when we are left to our own devices, our view of God, to steal Paul's words in other parts of the Bible, we are enemies of ourselves, of how we view ourselves and how we view God. And Jesus leaves us with the question in Luke 15, will the older brother actually come to his senses or not? Because the reminder is there. There is something just as bad as being dead and not alive. And that is being lost. Not knowing the divine parent who's been around you all this time. I want you to hold on to that. You know, after the last year that we've had, have you ever wondered about how people can see the exact same thing and have a different take or a different observation. Have you ever thought about how weird, how strange that is, is that humans can see the same thing and they can react and interpret it differently? As a matter of fact, in scripture, we have a story that somewhat reflects this conundrum. Jesus later on in the Gospel of Matthew actually tells another parable. This time he doesn't tell it of a father as much as he tells it of a master. And this parable is found in Matthew 25. And in Matthew 25, you see this master who is so generous give this different portions of funding to each servant. And the parable goes around saying basically the first servant, the second servant go out, they invest what has been given to them. They get a return that's double fold and they come back and the master says, awesome, great. You have taken my generosity and done it with done something with it. But the third one, as Jesus highlights, does nothing with the generosity of the master. In a matter of fact, he buries it. He brings it back to the master afterwards and he actually ends up losing it because there is no return, no outpour, nothing that happens from the generosity of him. And when you read that parable, you've got to read it really with the rest of the chapter to be able to understand, like, what is going on here? This is a weird story. But we are told, out of all things ambiguous in this parable, we are told the reason for why the servant does not actually do anything 
with the generosity of the master. In Matthew 25, verse 24, it says it like this. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. He said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground and see, this is the gold that belongs to you. Isn't this so telling? Hard, difficult, afraid. I remember the first time when I started my journey in counseling. My counselor told me about the idea of projection. The idea that how we interpret external things comes through the lens of what's happening internally inside us. That the internal actually determines how we're viewing the external. There's an element of this parable that the rumbling inside, you're a hard master, I was afraid of you, actually produces the reality that the servant doesn't want to happen ever before. Thinkers like Thomas Aquinas would actually say it the same way that we'd say it in the modern day. He would basically say it like this, whatever is received is received according to the mode of the sender. What happens in us internally projects onto how we interpret things outside of us externally. Now, if you haven't guessed, I'm going to ask you, would you please hold on to that? There's this phrase that's passed down in Christian history. A phrase that maybe describes life really well. That, you know, I'm not even going to attempt to say what it is in the original language because one of you are going to send me an email and be like, it's not said like that. I can tell you the, today's version of it. The phrase is double knowledge. Double knowledge has basically been passed down by Christians trying to summarize how life is with God. And basically double knowledge is defined as this. It is the journey of discovering God involves discovering yourself. That discovering God and discovering yourself are interconnected. For you to ask questions about the image of God means that you're also asking questions about the one who is made in his image. And when we think about life that way, it makes me wonder, is this why the prodigal son is so relatable? Is this why people think about it all the time? Because there's a connection in life. You could describe the Christian life from one angle like this. We are spending every day coming to our senses about who God is and who we are in light of who God is. And if the parables, if the words of Scripture tell us anything, is that left to our own intuition, left to our own thought, left to our own emotions, we sometimes will misassign who God is. That we actually miss who God is. That our emotions do not actually determine who God is, but is the image of Jesus that actually tells us who it is. I mean, this is true for a lot of us, right? We always make assumptions about the connections that we have of things. Like, for example, if I were to ask you, can you tell me how, uh, let's say, earbuds work? Or if I were to ask you how a piano works, 
works. Usually our reaction is always, of course I can tell you how that works. And if I held your feet to the fire and said, no, 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 actually tell me how the keys are connected to actually make a sound in the piano. Or tell me how the earbuds that is connected to your device actually produces sound. We'd be like, well, you know, it, it kind of connects here. And we always assume that we understand the connections of how things work. And it's not that we should be able to be people who exactly know and figure out how God is. That's not a God really in and of itself if you're figuring out God. But are we people who understand the connection and do the work of our perception of God compared to the image of who God actually is? So here's the way that I would sum this for you. If you and I were sitting down having coffee, Here's a question I would ask. As you've worked in your relationship with God, do you know the connection between your upbringing and your image of God? Do you know the ways that you formed healthy views of God and unhealthy views of God through your upbringing? Do you know through your experiences and the things that have been hard or hurtful or trying or challenging, do you know how those things have affected you in healthy and unhealthy views of God. Do you know in the culture of our day how things are similar or different than the view or image of God? Life can be summed up as coming to our senses about who God is and who we are in light of God. That life is this slow journey of taking our perceptions and assumptions and slowly letting the image, the person of Jesus actually correct and transform and actually show us the presence of who God is. So I want to leave you with one more note in scripture as you hold on to that. I want to remind you for those of us who sometimes really struggle in remembering who God is, Letting our feelings determine God more than letting what's outside of our feelings determine God. I want to remind you that you're in good company. I want to remind you that out of all people in scripture that you can relate to, you can relate to Peter. In the gospels, we find that all the way through Peter's life, Peter thinks he's got God nailed down. He is so Messiah-centric, but he's not cross-centric yet. We even find that Peter is so ambitious that he's going to tell Jesus what Jesus' actual mission is. And Peter, at one point at the end of the Gospels, turns his back on Jesus because it feels like Jesus has turned his back on him. That Jesus is not who he imagined he would be. And even though he turns his back on Jesus, the Gospel writers remind us that Peter comes back and Jesus comes back resurrected, and he does not turn his back on Peter. As a matter of fact, he comes to Peter, and he asks a question. Matter of fact, the same question. He asks him the question three times. Can you say what it is? Yeah. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? And in three times you find that he is actually correcting the confession and the leaving that he once had. But here's the thing I want you to note. In the conversation that he has with Peter, never once does he tell Peter that he loves him. 
He only asks, do you love me? And here's where Jesus tells us the posture of God towards all of us. Why does Jesus not ask or actually say, I love you, Peter? Because Jesus in coming back is making a statement that's already assumed that I love you. He reflects the generosity and the patience of the Father. That God's mind, in Rich Velotis' language, God's mind is made up about Peter. That God is not changing God's mind, but that God is actually changing our minds about God. That's the good news for us to be able to hear today. As people who are learning, who are trying to learn, unlearn, and see the image of God. People who are coming to our senses. That God is patient and God is generous as we work out who God is and we come to our senses. No one of us comes with a full understanding of who God is and God is patient and generous. He reflects that of the Father and he reflects that of who Jesus is. In church, that generosity and that patience is what you and I can hold on to as we come to our senses. Cassius stand for an invitation, really ascending. In the prayers of the people last week, one person wrote this prayer that I think is so vulnerable and so raw and more of us need to take your leadership in writing this prayer. I want to read it over us for the ending today. Last week, someone wrote, I need a miraculous transformation of my mind. I'm stuck in my old ways of thinking and it's hurting and it's also damaging my relationships. Whoever wrote that prayer, I hope that you hear today that this is the work of God, that God is transforming our minds to the image of Christ. That this is the word that Tozer once said that what you think of God is the most important thing about you to know that this God is patient and generous as we come to know who it is. So church this week, may you hold on to the generosity and the patience of God as the spirit of God helps you come to your senses. May you go in peace today.